0: Hello, I'm Shelly Till. Welcome to the Too Much Grit to Quit podcast, where I speak to some of the greatest athletic minds about overcoming adversity and building your grit muscle. My guest today is the amazing, awesome, smiling, loving personality, one of my favorite people in the world, Sarah Chafee Taylor. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) I I I threw all three names in there. Hey, that's fun. I love that. Sarah is a mental performance coach and we're going to get into everything that you do and kind of the clientele that you work with. Um, but first, just thanks for taking time out of your day. I know you guys are super busy.
1: Hey, thanks, Shelly. I appreciate it. that. was quite the introduction. My heart. <laughs> love that. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're one of those people
0: that when you walk into the room, it just lights up. So I think, hey, um, that's,
1: that's all I strive. About. I'll tell you, if you ask my husband, he might not say the same thing. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, but. I, I've seen the way Trent looks at you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can get kind of grumpy too. So <laughs> it's okay. Aww. But that's I try true. and I try and keep it pretty happy. <laughs> that's good. We, you know, we all have multiple sides and yeah. You, so you guys, um, Got married, you and Trent, for for the listener, Sarah, Sarah's husband is Trent Taylor, who plays as uh, a wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. When did you guys get married in all of this COVID stuff, secretly?
1: <laughs> yeah, we did a little secret getaway wedding. Um, we did, it was October 5th. I should know that date, and I do. Um, took me uh-huh. a second. Uh, It's all gone by so quick. But yeah, it was October fifth, And um, actually, even before COVID hit, we'd always wanted just a really intimate wedding where all of the worldly stuff was kind of away and it was just our vows and it was just him and I. And it was really cool because it was just that. you know we obviously had you know two of our closest friends there, your daughter Claire and George, and um you know my dogs were there, and, and we had our families on Zoom, and that's really all I needed. Um, and it was just so special. It was literally getting dark, it was dark as we were saying our vows, and I just didn't even care. You know, I was so lost in in him and in the moment, and that's all I could could have asked for. So Um, I'm, I'm blessed and I'm thankful and it's been such a fun ride and in marriage has been so much fun, especially with him. So he makes every day super fun. Well, you two are, I would say a match made in heaven. That's for sure. (laughs) Definitely. I'm really thankful for him. He, 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 he evens me out really, really well.
0: (laughs) Well, and you guys, um, I love your story and how you met. Do you care about sharing that?
1: No, totally. (laughs) Um, So, gosh, it's funny, because I always joke, like, it depends on who you ask, because we kind of have two different stories. But um, I think moral of the story is, I was, you know, working, I was a sports reporter at the time, and I was working on a project uh, for my company, and it required me to get some quotes from different NFL players. And I needed a rookie. Um, I had several veterans that I, I had quotes from, and I needed a rookie. And so I googled, like, top rookies of that year. And, and Trent, Trent was one of the names that came up. So I looked him up and I, I thought, oh, he's, he seems like he would you know respond with a great quote. So seems pretty nice. So I just reached out, got a quote. Um, he gave me like a one sentence quote and, and the other guys were giving me like paragraphs. But <laughs> you know, what I know about him now, that's just his personality. <laughs> um, and he kind of just kept talking to me uh, from, from then on out. And, and we were really just friends. And then, um, I don't know, it just kind of clicked one day and it just, you know, we, we were friends for a really, really long time. And then, yeah, and then it felt like, whoa, I could actually see a future with you. And then the rest is history. We did distance for a little bit and, um, you know, my job's taken me everywhere and, and that's kind of how we, we did it. And then we got married and now we live together and we're on the crazy adventure together. So it's been fun.
0: Yeah. Well, and you were living in LA at the time, right? When you. When yeah. You- and you were in sports broadcasting, so we have sure. that common that in common in terms of um a, a career at, at for a stint, but how did you transition, Sarah, when you were in sports broadcasting? Um, because obviously you're very athletic minded, very athletic yourself, but how did you make the switch from sports broadcasting into wanting to go into get your masters and and get into sports psychology?
1: Yeah, you know, it was super interesting because uh, quite a different path than most people take you know I my my passion from a young age was um, to ask questions and I wanted to be involved in sports you know my entire life sports is really what made me feel whole you know I played sports I was involved in sports you know my sibling uh, played sports and was involved in sports and it bonded our entire family so really that's where my passion lied and I, I couldn't imagine doing anything outside of the world of sports um so sports reporting, you know, just became a passion uh, for me at a really young age. I used to carry around a tape recorder, and I would interview my, uh, you know, brothers' friends that would come over to hang out and. I would interview my family and make up questions and act like I was a sports reporter with my little mic and my tape recorder. And it was awesome. And I had a radio show um, that was total make believe, uh, but it was called Sarah After Dinner and we're talking sports. I love it. All I ever wanted to do. And, you know, like, I don't know the demographics of listeners that you get, but some people might not even know what a tape recorder is nowadays, but uh, (laughs) you had to hold down the button to rewind, Uh, but know that that just was all i ever wanted to do and and it was fun for me because a lot of people told me my whole life that you know you you know there's really no place for you to to be in sports and, and and be reporting on sports and that type of thing so i saw it as kind of a challenge you know being a female and uh there were so many great females as you know that have paved the way for all of us to come through and and live our dream too but um, you know, it was sort of a challenge and, you know, I, I really worked my way up. I moved to Alabama. I was working in Alabama and then I, I moved to San Diego and then to Orange County in L.A. and uh, really worked my way up and, and you know, thought I was kind of in my dream position at the time and um, w- would come home and was super unfulfilled. And was kind of questioning what was going on. You know, I I was really at the place I wanted to be. I was at a network at a really young age, and I was having the time of my life. But again, coming home super unfulfilled. And I dug into that a little bit more and realized that I kind of had this passion to serve. You know, and and it comes from you know a, a big life event that that we can get into a little bit later if you'd like, but. Um, you know, I, I just through this, this big traumatic life event, uh, event that I experienced, I realized, gosh, life is short. I want to live, uh, more of my purpose. And I feel like my purpose here on earth is, is to serve in some way. And, um, you know, I, I would do these feature stories and sit one-on-one with a lot of, um, athletes and, and we would really get into kind of the mental side of, of sports. And a lot of them would just divulge a lot of heavy stuff. And I would, know just sit there and kind of listen and think gosh i wish i had something of of value to offer them back some feedback to offer them back um in return in these conversations and that's kind of when i got into uh, exploring the topic of sports psychology and and realized that this was a profession and this was something you could do and um you know at the time i had been working with uh, you know a therapist, and she was teaching me these psychological and mental skills. and they were making an incredible impact in my life. And I was using them firsthand every single day. And I just remember thinking, gosh, if if these are making such a different difference in my life, like this news is too good. I've got to go out and share this. and i, I want to I want to help others and I want to teach others this information. And I would love to do this in a sports setting. Right. So, um, you know, then I ended up just applying and and my mom always told me, you know, if, if God wants you there, he'll open the doors and he'll make a way. And I ended up getting in and to, to graduate school. So I, I left my job and, and embarked on that journey. And, and ever since I've just totally been so fulfilled and, and so incredibly, my, my cup just overflows with what I'm able to do on a daily basis and, um, you know again like i i hope i make a difference but it's it's these athletes that i work with that really make a difference in my life and challenge my my thoughts and and challenge me in so many cool ways so no day is the same and no conversation is the same and and it's really incredible um where i'm at right now i'm just so happy and so fulfilled so i'm i'm thankful and and that's kind of the long, the long story short i think i think um and one of the reasons
0: I wanted to have you on here is because you fit the intent of this program, too much grit to quit, so well. Because, and a lot of people, when they have adversity in their life, it does. It's a it's a crossroads, right? You either use it to propel yourself into the next chapter uh, of your life, or sometimes it can be what holds pe- holds people back. And you've clearly used it to propel you um, into the life that you wanted to live. So what take us through um, what happened, because I know this is a very um, personal thing. It's also something you're very passionate about. And it's something that Trent Trent has stepped up to support as well, in terms of what he does
1: with his cleats for a cause Mm -hmm. uh, in the NFL. 100%. So we would go back um, several years now. I think it's been about four Four or five years now and it's when I first moved to San Diego um, for my reporting job and uh, you know it was my first week there really excited I'm an avid runner uh, you know I do marathons and I'm, I'm really passionate about running and I was in my new neighborhood in La Jolla and was out for a run one day just exploring the new area very safe neighborhood and um, it, it was noon and, you know, I was just doing my thing. And um, a man who, whom I, I've never met, nor did I know, approached me and um, tasered me. At the time, I didn't know that he tasered me, but he ended up tasering me and he assaulted me and um, was grabbing my hair and, and just being really aggressive and trying to shove me in the back of his car. And obviously, so many thoughts running through my head, very confused why he's touching me. Um, And it wasn't until he started shoving my head and and pushing me into the car that I realized, oh, this is big, like you've got to fight. And again, so many things ran through my head. Like um, It's so funny. When I was homesick in high school, one day I was watching Oprah because that was what was on during the day, Uh, you know, when... On TV, when you're homesick and have nothing to watch. And um, this woman that Oprah was interviewing had been assaulted and she'd been kidnapped. And she ended up jumping out of the back of his, you know, the kidnapper's car um, onto the moving freeway because she said, listen, I'd rather die than sit in his car and let him have his will and do whatever it is that he's gonna do. And she ended up surviving and getting away, but it just was so bold that she did that. And it was just so incredible because I heard her voice in my head as he was shoving me in the car. And she told me and said, if you get in that car, you're dead. So I fought, 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 fought um you know my parents have been very blessed they've they've uh you know taken me to self-defense classes and I just remember thinking you know I've got too much to live for um I'm I'm passionate about life I'm passionate about where uh, I'm passionate about living I feel like I have a purpose and I'm too young to have you take that from me so you know I fought like crazy and um you know, all the pain and sensation that was in my chest from him tasering me ended up going away because I had all this adrenaline, was able to really fight and um, kind of maneuver in a way where I was able to get away for a second. And it was enough space to where I could I I kicked enough and I was able to get away. So I ran out into the middle of the street and um, I was just screaming for help and ended up a, a girl was driving down the road at that same time. And I was like, please help me, please help me. You know, I was screaming and crying. Um, you know, I said, there's a man who's trying to kill me. Can you please let me in? And and she was so sweet about my age and she let me in her car mm-hmm. and we were driving. And and gosh, I mean, I looked crazy at the time. And I I just was so thankful that she let me in her car. And she drove me um, to a little, a safer place where I could finish my run and, and just run home. Cause I said, listen, just drop me off here because if he's following us, um, you know, I don't want him to see where I live. So I'm just going to get out here. And I looked at her and I'll never forget. I said, you are literally my angel. Thank you for, you saved me. You know, you got me out of there. And I said, what's your name? And she said, my name's Sarah. What's your name? And I was like, oh my gosh, my name's Sarah. And I was like, I looked at her and I was like, you're literally my angel. Mm -hmm. And it just was such a cool moment because I really did feel like she was my angel, you know, in that moment. And Um, You know, from there, the story is is a bit crazy. And obviously, um, I I never talk about the situation uh, without thanking Um, The La Jolla, uh, the San Diego Police Department and um, their detectives, they were on the case immediately and they had helicopters out looking for this suspect and um, gosh, they did incredible work. And through the work that we were able to do together, um, we were able to identify a suspect and they were able to come to the conclusion that it was an attempted kidnapping um, for sex trafficking, sex and human trafficking, which is pretty big in that San Diego region and area. So obviously I didn't know anything about human or sex trafficking at all. And I thought I was just living in one of the safest neighborhoods in the world, which, you know, I, I kind of was, and it just was so much for me to handle. And, um, it it was crazy and it was obviously very traumatic and I had a lot that I had to work through. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, through this, it was really cool. I started working with a therapist who who, like I I, I kind of prefaced before, you know, she was teaching me mental and psychological skills that I was using on a daily basis because the trauma that followed was incredibly sickening. I mean, I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would see him on my balcony. Um, I would have the worst night terrors, and I would end up throwing up in the middle of the night because I was so scared. Um, because you know I'm a single woman living alone, and I was just terrified. Every every time I took my dog out, I saw him somewhere. I saw his face every time I got in my car. I saw him driving. Um, when I would get home late from work, I would check my shower. I would check under my bed. I would check my closet, and, and that was part of my routine. Was uh, got to make sure he's not in here. So I was crippled with fear and um, I, I couldn't even live the, my normal life. You know, I was a totally different person. I didn't step foot out once to go for a run. Um, just so many things felt taken from me yeah. until I made the decision, you know, through this psychological skills and, and, the, and training my mind to work for me rather than against me. I was able to really get a grip on what was going on up here. Um, You know, I was able to process the event. I think that's super important. A lot of the trauma came from not having the time nor the understanding to process what had happened. And then two, you know, to make the decision, okay, am I going to let him take away my life? Absolutely not. Like I'm blessed to get away. Um, so let's let's continue living. So it, it was making the decision, hey, you know, I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna live and I'm I'm gonna take my life back. Mm-hmm. So um through all that, obviously it's years and years of work. Um, but you know, obviously I, I also like to attribute my faith in God was was the foundation of all of this. I wouldn't have gotten through this without my faith in God because I know too, I'm here for a reason and I've got a purpose. And I know that he had me go through this um, for a reason. And if I can use it to glorify him and, and to bring attention to his, his will and his good, all of his goodness, then he wins in all of this. And the evil doesn't win. Right. So um, kind of making the decision, I'm gonna use this for good. And it was so cool because through all the madness and the years and years of pain and hurt, um, I have this new zest. I had this new zest for life. I had this new passion to serve. I had all these new things that popped up like, all right, like life's not guaranteed. Let's go let it rip and live it up to the fullest. You know what I mean? And um, it just was so cool. What what was able to come of it, but certainly it was a decision. And I had so many incredible Uh, People in my life that helped me kind of make that decision and make it something powerful and and use it for good. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit where the the human trafficking passion comes from, because, um, you know, after I was able to kind of work through my stuff, I started doing incredible research on what this actually was. And it's terrifying. It's disgusting. And it makes me ill. And I feel like I have to be the voice for those who are voiceless right now. And a big part of that is like it's really uncomfortable for me to tell my story. It's really uncomfortable because I don't want to seem like a victim. I don't want to feel, you know, feel these things again. But part of m- me telling my story is to wake people up and say, hey, this is happening in our backyard to very, very normal people. Right. And um it, it's a tragedy to what's going on. So uh you know I have to ask Sarah if
0: because everybody's going to go, did they catch the guy? Did they catch the guy?
1: Yeah, so so we were able to, um, you know, there's a lot of information that I'm still not really able to disclose, but, um, you know, the best way to say it is that we were able to find, uh, you know, the San Diego Police Department was incredible. My detectives were incredible, and we were able to find him. Um, unfortunately, the whole situation didn't end up turning out the way we had hoped mm-hmm. in terms of justice, but... Um, yeah, I can't really comment any further on that, but sure, sure. Um, yeah, that, that was kind of the situation. We were able to identify who he was though, and what his intentions were.
0: Well, it's incredibly um, brave of you, first of all, to, to share that story. Um, they say that if you can tell a story without it drawing up those emotions, I'm sure it happens occasionally, but you know, all the time that you've been able to heal from it Mm-hmm. um, it's also, you know, trauma is a thing that I, it, this sounds really weird, but I'm, I, I love studying it mm-hmm. from the fact, from the, from the standpoint of what does it do to us, right? Mm-hmm. How does it affect us? Not, not just in our brain, but in our body as well, because I think that, and there are different levels of trauma. Clearly what you went through is the, one of the worst types of trauma anyone could experience, but it, it does affect you if you don't, if it's not processed, it does get stored in our bodies and in our minds and it does mess with you. And so, I mean, it's just, it's an incredible story that you were able to work through that, that you were able to not only work through it, but overcome it, heal from it. And now you're using it, right? Mm -hmm. You're using it for good. I'm curious in your work that you do now, Sarah, because you've been through what you've been through, because you've worked with therapists and, and you're focused on the mental performance as a, from a sports psychology lens, what is the difference? Because a lot of times people are like, well, isn't that this? And is it, you know, there's, there can be confusion for people who don't know these, these professions. So what have you found to be kind of the differences um, between the two? And also maybe even how do they complement one another?
1: The difference, the differences between like a therapist and a, like a mental performance coach or what? Yep. Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so I would say, you know, my experience in therapy, um, well, d- it depends on, on what kind of a therapist you go to, you know, that obviously they have, some are really specialized in, in certain, uh, you know, uh, cases like trauma or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, so and, and, and more so, I would say a mental performance coach, like the role that I am, um, there are a ton of similarities, but there are also a ton of differences like um, I, I'm really working um, to help them level up performance. Uh, a lot of the population that I work with are professional athletes, so they're just looking for the one percent that they can get better because that 1% could be all the difference in their game. Um, you know, so we're really zooming in on how we can level up performance, uh, by using these mental and psychological skills. Um, certainly, you know, there's a lot of listening that happens. There's a lot of conversation that happens. So I would say in, in that regard, it's very, very similar. Um, however, I think on the therapy side, it's, it's a lot more healing. And I, I wouldn't say that, um, you know the work i do with athletes isn't healing all the time like i've had a lot of athletes who um some of the, some of the things that are getting in, in the way are uh, are uh, you know, some of the some of the little speed bumps or roadblocks are need a little bit of healing, um, need a little bit of processing. Um, but I think a therapist is, it, they really zoom in on that, and there's a lot of healing that happens, and and there's a lot of conversation, and there's a lot of digging really deep into family, uh, you know, family of origin, and and all of those things, and. Um, so I would say, you know, those are probably the main differences as is, I would say healing and, and my, my main focus is performance and, and how we can level up performance, but, um, so certainly you, a lot of similarities.
0: Yeah. So when you run into, uh, when you encounter an athlete, because everyone, no matter what level you play, um, at some point hits that roadblock, like you said, and that's, that's usually, a a, a limiting belief, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, the inner critic, something in there. And that always comes from somewhere else, right? That's, there's usually a voice um, from the past, and a, a past experience or a past encounter with someone that was important to them that maybe planted that seed. What would be uh, just if to give people a, t- a flavor of how you would h- handle a situation like that? What Like what's one tip if somebody's listening and they might be dealing with an inner critic issue that you would maybe look at to try to um, remedy that.
1: Yeah, I think everything starts with having some really good awareness. So I would say a lot of the athletes that come to me, you know, we first have to develop a sense of awareness of what's going on inside. Um, you know what what is exactly happening because uh, you can't grow if you don't know. Someone has coined that quote. I'm not sure who, but it's it's a great <laughs> one. Um, but so first, you got to have just a sense of like, am I? talking trash to myself because a lot of the times athletes are talking trash to themselves without even knowing it and without even being aware of it. And what's really problematic with that is that's, that's really hurting their confidence. Our confidence is really fragile and it's something that we need to really water and take care of and protect. And if we're talking trash to ourselves all day long, especially without even knowing it, you know, our confidence is, uh, you know, breaking. So I think, you know, self-talk is, 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 when you mentioned like inner critic, like self-talk is huge because it directly impacts our confidence. And you'd be surprised how many athletes come to me. And that's the number one thing that they're, they're feeling like is lacking. Like they don't have any confidence in themselves and they might be a professional at the top of their game, but their confidence is really lacking. So first we kind of work on developing that awareness of, well, what are you saying to yourself? And, and, and then two, like if they are talking trash to themselves, okay, how can we pivot, reframe and and develop some really productive self-talk? Doesn't always have to be positive because positive doesn't always work, you know, like rainbows and butterflies. and, And I'm not saying all positive talk is rainbows and butterflies, but a lot of athletes don't really like that approach. Like, let's just have more of a, you know, a, a neutral. Like Trevor Moad, he works with um, Russell Wilson. He he kind of coined this term, like having a neutral um, outlook on things. Um, but I like to just say, let's let's keep it productive. Like, let's let's have a good conversation with ourselves up here, and like what I always tell athletes too, is like, no one knows what you're saying to yourself up here. So why don't you like gas yourself up a little bit? And we just got to make sure that it's productive because there's so many trains you can jump on. And the one that's negative takes us to a very, very dark place, 10 Mm -hmm. out of 10 times. So, you know, developing that really productive self-talk is, is huge in in what I do and in the work that I do with athletes. So I think think so many different ways you could go with it, but I think that's just a really good beginning stage. Yeah. And I think
0: you, you hit on something that's prevalent and it's not just, it's for every human being. It's how we're wired, right? That negative train, percent. The, the whistle on that negative train is a hell of a lot louder than all the other ones. So you yes. got to be really intentional about which one you get on. Every
1: day. And I tell athletes, it's like, look, our brains are actually hardwired to scan for danger. It's what right. kept us safe. It's instilled in us. It's passed down from our ancestors and like, thank God for it but at the same time, like, what are you viewing as a threat? Like, does your mind, like a lot of my guys, it's like, are you viewing like the putting green as a threat? Like, are you viewing you know, what, what are you, are you scanning and seeing danger there? Then we have to really work through that because, um, then, you know, all these signals are getting sent like threat, threat, danger, danger. And that's where a lot of that negativity comes from. Cause we're looking for the bad. We're looking for the threat. We're looking for what's dangerous all the time. So we really have to train to see what's good. We have to train, uh, ourselves, you know, to be a little bit more optimistic in that sense. So, um, certainly wired to see, you know, like you said, what's, what's dangerous potentially. Right.
0: I refer to that as neuroception in, in my practice. It's yeah, it's exactly that. It's your inner Navy SEALs going, all right, what's, what's coming at me next. Um, right. And yeah, and if you don't check it, it's going to, it, 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 uh, will definitely take over. I was, um, I trained, uh, the gosh, this was probably six years ago with, um, are you familiar with Josh Medcalf? Yeah. Uh, He he wrote one of my favorite books, "Chop Wood, Carry Water." Yes, yes, yes. yes. So I I went to like a weekend kind of seminar thing with him and Jamie Gilbert at the time, and they do a lot. Obviously, you know this with golfers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the things that they were talking about because I was in this room with a ton of golf coaches, which was really kind of funny because I suck at golf. (laughs) (laughs) No amount of sports psychology will help my game, but that's okay. Golf's got to be one of the toughest sports. Oh, it is. And so, but he was talking about how they man what what he does is in between, in between the shots, right. Mm -hmm. It's like you, the golfer has the shot, they know what they're doing. And Mm -hmm. then his role or your role uh, in that sense is managing what's going on up here in between the shots. And Mm -hmm. there's not a whole lot of time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right. In between there for them to manage. And so he was saying how, you know, I'll, I'll give my guys a minute to be, pissed or whatever emotion they are about that last shot if it didn't go the way they wanted it to
1: and then it's immediately you know reset lock in and and go yeah yeah that's really valuable and I think too it's just like every golfer that I work with is so incredibly different so like I say this on probably every single podcast that I go on is what 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 might work tremendously for one guy may never work for the other guy. So it's all about like we we talked about tailoring really the approach to the spe- specifications of the athlete. You gotta sure. meet that's it. Meet. Yeah, made. tailor made <laughs> tailored tailored approach with Sarah. Yeah, tailored <laughs> approach. That's right. But that could be you your know, own podcast. What's that? That could be your own podcast. Hey, Sarah
0: Sarah
1: I love that. That's great. <laughs> Uh, I might have to give you a percentage, Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's really, I would, you know, I, I think it's really tough. And I think, you know, it's really tough when people seem to think, you know, they'll take this idea that one thing should work the same for everybody. And that's just not the, that's not the truth in the mental game. You know what I mean? And everybody's approach and how they use it and when they use it is completely different. And uh, that's what I think is so cool about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, um, as you know, I work in this space too. And so I'm
0: all for it. And I think my opinion is everyone should have a coach um, whether you're an athlete or not, quite frankly, but mm-hmm. what is your, um, why do you believe that having a coach? Because let's face it like the self-help book industry is a billion dollar industry and there are books everywhere. Knowledge isn't the problem, right? Anybody can go in and read about sports psychology or mental performance or you know, how to rewire your brain, but why, uh, if, if a book worked, clearly they wouldn't need people like you and me. So what do you think is the value of having a
1: coach? I think the value of having a coach is first of all, you have someone to talk to. I think the biggest part of my sessions, I usually schedule, will usually, uh, that my athletes and I will usually schedule just one session a week to just fully unpack the full week. What happened, whether it was a tournament or, you know, a practice round or a Monday qualifier, whatever it might be, we've got to unpack everything that happened. And again, we're looking for marginal gains because I'm working with some of the best of the best, you know, they're professionals, they're, they're, you know, getting paid a lot of money to do this and, you know, they're performing at a high level. So we're just zooming in, we're double clicking and really unpacking and figuring out areas that have potential to be leveled up. And then two, that's just part of processing, reflecting, and then being kind of done with it. So it's like a new chapter. Uh, you know, they travel every weekend. And I'm just talking specifically about golfers, but um, you know, athletes are traveling all the time. So you've got to be able to fully unpack, pack it, reflect, and then be done and, and have a fresh start, a new clean slate, a new chapter for the next tournament. So I think that's a huge aspect. I think, too, just having someone hold you accountable. A lot of my guys just need me to check in on certain things. And for them, too, um, when they're just beginning on, on some of the training that we do, it feels really good for them to come to me and tell me, hey, I did this. Or, hey, look what I did today. Or, hey, look, this is my streak on this. And it feels really good to have someone to, you know, kind of talk about your wins with. Yeah. Um, two, it also, it also is really nice to talk about what isn't working. Uh, or or what's, you know, not going well or what absolutely was atrocious because a lot of the time it's really hard to bring that baggage and bring it home to a lot of them have wives or a significant other. It's really tough for a relationship if you're dumping all that on your significant other. So I think what um, a coach offers is uh, someone who's, you know, an unbiased opinion and who's not going to judge you and who's going to sit there and listen to whatever baggage you need to might, maybe you need to dump something or uh, just work through something. There's been so many times where I'll just be listening to a conversation and my athlete will figure it out on his own. He just needed to talk through it with someone. He needed just a little bit of steering. You know, I I always say, I'm not in the business of giving advice. I'm just here to, um, you know, guide and challenge. I'm never here to give advice. So if they ask me for advice, I always just say, I don't know, what would you, you tell me? you know, it's, it's you. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think a a coach is, is really responsible um, for, for, like I said, just challenging, holding accountable, being there to celebrate your wins, being there to help you when, when your things are not going well, when you're losing and and things are tough um, for all those different aspects. I think a coach is really valuable.
0: I have to ask you being married to a professional athlete. How do you, does Trent let you coach him or how does cause I'm thinking of like, I know, so I know like Trent's dad, you know, was a football player coach. And, yeah. and so, and myself coaching my own kids, it's like, you have to know when to shut off the coach hat and be the mom. Like, how does that work for
1: you guys in your relationship? I mean, I, I get this question all the time and it's something that I, I always say, Hey, I'm still working on it myself. Like I'm still figuring it out too. But I think like what I've really gone with is, you know, that, that quote, you know, be where your feet are. I really try and be where my feet are. So like if we're on the couch chilling and watching a show, like I need to be a wife, um, you know, and, and, or if we're making dinner together, like I need to be a wife, um, but, you know, if we're talking performance and that type of thing, absolutely, I'm going to offer, um, if, I, if I have something that I think is of value or of service to him, I'm absolutely going to offer it. And the beauty is, um, you know, he he wants that. He believes in the mental game and he's actually one of the most mentally tough people I've ever met. And He's extremely consistent in his approaches. And so um, he's able to stay really consistent. And that's a really big characteristic of someone who's mentally tough. So it's kind of fun for me because I learned from him too. And, uh, but, but, you know, anytime I, I, I see a, a cool piece of research, absolutely, I'm sharing it with him. Or, you know, a, a big thing that I've really been working on with him lately is recovery. And I, you know, I, I've been digging into a lot of, of sleep and recovery research, and I found some really nifty tidbits that we've been working on together. Um, so that's been fun. Um, he, he's big on visualization. So um, usually we try and cut out some time to do some visualization too. So, so, um, you know, I keep it down to a minimum. It's not like we have a full blown session, but sometimes, sometimes we will, yeah. you know, but we usually awesome. try and carve, out, ca- carve out the time and, and make it happen. But um, like
0: that, and he's open to it. Right. And so totally like, him being yeah. open to it makes it all, all worth, you know, it's not like you're offering unsolicited
1: hundred <laughs> um, percent. And right. he, he's, he sees, you know, uh, he, you know, he, he's been able to build a relationship with, with some of my golfers and he sees firsthand, um, you know, a lot of them vouch for it and he believes in, in what, um, the mental game can bring and, and he knows it's a value. So I think it's really cool, um, to have that support.
0: You mentioned, obviously you're working with uh, a lot of golf golfers. What, uh, what does the future look like? Because you know, you're this is you're in the early
1: stages of of this career. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do with this? I love that question. You know, golf has always really been my passion. I love golf. Uh, you know, I worked a little bit uh, as a reporter in golf, and I've always just been passionate about golf. I was always the one turning it on and people were confused. Like why are you watching (laughs) golf? But I love it. And uh, I I especially love working with golfers just because it is so mental and it's really just you. And um, I, I also just love how open a lot of individual golfers especially professional ones are to the mental game because a lot of them at that level know that that's the difference you can't get away without training your mind you have to at that point you know like Max Homa who just won uh at Riviera the Genesis uh Invitational you know he he was just he he was in his interview he he attributed a ton of his um, you know, a ton of reason why he had success to the mental game and forgiving quickly is is, is his motto and and just being mentally fit and training his mind. So, you know, a lot of professional guys are vouching for it and um, especially in the in the golf space. And and I just I felt called to go in that space and it's it's been really really fun and I'm enjoying it and I love it. And it's what I'm passionate about. And, you know, I still work with, with other, you know, demographics and, in different sports and, and whatnot, but really my passion is golf. So I think just kind of staying in there and growing that, um, growing that side of things and, and just having fun with it. As long as I feel like I, you know, can serve. And like I told you, that's just where I, where I feel like, um, you know, that's my purpose, I think, and and my passion is to serve in this way and, and to help um, other people use their mind to work for them rather than against them. So as long as I'm doing that, um, I'll be a happy girl. So where can people find out
0: more about the work you're doing, or if they want to uh, talk to you about possibly um, working with you?
1: well I'm on Instagram and Twitter those are probably my two biggest handles right now anything I try and offer some value on on Twitter and Instagram mostly as reminders to myself so when I'm scrolling through my own grid I can remind myself of things that I need to be reminded of Uh, but hopefully you know they add value to people too so um you know, I, like you mentioned, I just got married. So my handles changed a little bit, but I think my handle on, on Instagram is Sarah J.C. Taylor. And I think my Twitter is Sarah J. Chafee still. So that's where you can find me. And I love, you know, to keep the conversation going. So um, feel free to reach out.
0: I will put those links in the show notes too, for people listening. So you can click down there. Thank Sarah, you. thank you so much. It was just a joy to see you and your smiling face again. And I
1: uh, just thanks for taking time out of your busy day. Hey, Shell, thanks for having me. And thanks for having the conversation about, uh, you know, the mental side. I think it's so important. So I appreciate it.
0: That's a wrap for this edition of Too Much Grit to Quit on Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Shelly Till. Please join me again the next time and make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform.